Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. This is the Dan Abrams Lawn Crime Podcast with Sirius XM Radio. This isn't really a legal effort. What do I I mean by that? Well, look, Rudy Giuliani was representing him in Pennsylvania, okay, yesterday. And Rudy Giuliani, again, I've said this before, I voted for him um, when he was New York mayor. I used to be a big fan of his uh, as a sort of what I viewed as a moderate Republican. Um, And (laughs) he didn't seem to understand legal standards, something called strict scrutiny, which is a important legal standard, which is a question of how, how do you examine certain legal questions. Didn't even know what it really seemed to know what it meant. Um, and he really just went on a diatribe about voter fraud and then admitted that the case in Pennsylvania wasn't about voter fraud. I, I say this to you not to try and beat up on Giuliani more, but just to say that their legal effort isn't really about the law. Um, in Arizona, the Arizona Republican Party there is still, I think this afternoon, they're going to be in court to prevent uh, the county uh, in Maricopa from certifying its results. Um, in Michigan, you saw that there was a two-to-two two vote in a, uh, a, a highly African-American, highly Democratic county where two Republican um, members versus two Democratic members. The two Republicans initially said that they weren't going to vote to certify. But there's no evidence of any real issues beyond the normal. And so eventually the two Republicans caved because it was so ridiculous and it was being perceived as racist, et cetera, that they, that they gave in. Um, what we're seeing in Wisconsin is actually the intellectually honest challenge that is being made. And what we've seen in Wisconsin now, and this has happened today, is that the Trump campaign is paying $3 million for a recount of two Wisconsin counties. Why? Under Wisconsin law, you have to pay for it. They don't want to pay the full $8 million it would cost to get recounts across uh, across the state. Why? They know they're not going to win. They know they're not going to get 20,000 votes to change. Karl Rove, I think, said that uh, there were only three statewide contests in the last half century in which recounts changed the outcome. 1974, New Hampshire, 2004, Washington governor, 2008, Minnesota Senate. They were by 355, 261, and 215 votes after Election Day. Just in Wisconsin, he's down by 20,000 votes. So what is he doing with this recount in two counties? Now, now by the way, if somehow these two counties, um, which are heavily Democratic, became an issue, that could, that could flip the numbers. Biden got 577,000 votes in the two counties compared with 213,000 for Trump. We know that the official canvas isn't going to change the numbers. What the president wants is political ammunition, and he's paying $3 million to get it. 
his final effort here is to somehow try to prevent states, counties, from certifying their elections. Because once things are once the states certify, again, counties initially certify, they then send it up to the state, the state then hands in the official certification. And the states have different dates, but uh, many of them are coming up uh, immediately, some of them as early as Friday. And the president is hoping upon hope that somehow he can prevent them from certifying. And if he can't, he wants to be able to say, oh, I got cheated, I got cheated. So keep your eye on the ball here, right? Because there are two separate efforts. There's the legal effort, which is really almost dead at this point. And then there's the political effort, which is really just trying to convince somehow these Republican legislators that there is something amiss and that they should risk the the future of all elections by somehow stepping in and not recognizing the results of the election. So that's issue one. And I'm just saying keep your eye, keep your eye on the ball there. The, the legal efforts are a distraction. I say that because they're being forced to actually present evidence there. And there's no evidence of fraud. You know how I know that? Because they'd be in the legal papers. <laughs> and even the anecdotal evidence that we've heard, oh, this person died and this person, you know, it's, every time it's checked, it turns out that the person's either alive or it was a relative. And as I've told you before, you know, Cincinnati Inquirer did a very interesting study of three previous elections before this one. In Ohio, in Ohio alone, over 2,000 people voted twice. And it wasn't voter fraud. They went and found out this was a mistake and this and that. So my point is that nothing is going to change in the numbers. But what is changing is what the president is doing on his way out. He is trying to set fire, in effect, to the institutions. And one of the most important institutions protecting this country is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. It's part of the Department of Homeland Security. About uh, just under a week ago, the assistant director there resigned. Um, and now, last night, the president fired the director, Chris Krebs. His deputy also resigned. And the reason was because Krebs has been giving honest assessments of what happened in the um, election, simply saying that there was this was one of the most secure elections um, ever. He said there's, they put out a statement that said there's no evidence that any voting system deleted or lost votes, changed votes, or was, any, was in any way compromised. So the fact that he wasn't compromised became a problem. And I said on the show yesterday, and I appreciate those of you who tweeted at me um, giving me credit for calling it, but it wasn't a tough call, was I predicted that Krebs would be fired within a day, and he was fired within a day. I don't deserve much credit for that, because knowing the president, um, it's not about what is best for the country. It's about what's best for him. Um, so... Krebs is out. 
his deputy's out. This this other guy was out previously. Now the the number three, the good the only good news I can say is a guy named Brandon Wales, who was number three until Tuesday, is going to be acting head of the agency. But you keep hearing people say this is a national security risk. And I want to understand exactly what that means, right? What does it mean that it's a risk just because the lead guy isn't there and his deputy's out? Congressman Denny Heck, Democrat from the state of Washington in the 10th District there. He's a member of the House Intelligence Committee, joins us now. Congressman, thanks very much for taking the time. Appreciate it. So can you explain to us, I'm trying to understand when people, I don't know if you were able to hear any of my introduction, but, but when people talk about the national security risk of someone like Christopher Krebs being fired, as a member of the House Intelligence Committee, explain that to me. As a practical matter, what does it mean? Well, two things come to mind, Dan. First of all, leadership matters, and we've had no better evidence of that than the last four years of Donald Trump occupying the White House. Uh, The best analogy, however, for my second example I could use uh, relates to transitions, and I heard this with respect to the pandemic. You know, anytime they make a shift change at a hospital, uh, the healthcare providers make sure that the incoming shift has full information about the patient so that they are prepared to handle them. Well, we're going through a shift change in the White House. We're going through a shift change as it relates to cybersecurity. And the incoming crew needs to know as much as they can about the risk and the potential uh, trap doors that they will be confronting. So leadership matters. Transitions matter. And in both of those instances, Donald Trump has set us back with respect to cybersecurity. And so so. You know, what can we do? I mean, what do you make of this, uh, of the guy who was the, the number three I was just talking about, who's going to be uh, taking over, Brandon Wales? I mean, is that, should we, can we be reassured that someone who at least is part of the current um, administration there is going to be elevated and who is not a political appointee? Should that be reassuring or should we still remain very concerned? Well, we can be partially reassured, but the fact of the matter is, and I don't know Mr. Wells, he in all likelihood doesn't know everything that Chris knew on the way out the door, right? I mean, right. again, it's a transition without handoff. It's not a seamless handoff. But, you know, Dan, none of us should be surprised by any of this. Uh, President Trump is going to break a lot of dishes between now and January 20th. He just is. We knew that all along because he was... He was degrading norms and mores and democratic institutions for the last four years. So that's going to continue until January 20th. It is our job, your job, and you're doing it to call him out on it and to highlight the dangers associated therewith. But we shouldn't for a second uh, delude ourselves into believing that it's going to deter his behavior. It never has. It isn't now. And it's not going to between now and January 20th. Explain to me how much interaction the House Intelligence Committee has and you have with an organization like the cybersecurity uh, infrastructure security agency within the Department of Homeland Security. I mean, how how much oversight do you guys have? How much interaction do you have? How many bri- how much briefing do you get from them? Members have quite a bit. Staff have even more, uh, and it is an important part of our job. As you know, the House Intelligence Committee has oversight responsibility for seventeen of the intelligence-related agencies in the federal government. 
everybody thinks of it traditionally just in terms of the CIA, but it's 17 agencies, including Homeland Security. They have been in to brief us, and obviously I'm not at liberty to discuss, discuss or disclose what uh, it is they shared with us. But yes, we have quite a bit of interaction with them. Um, and I assume you expected, did you not, that Krebs was going to get fired? Even Chris expected Chris was going to get fired, <laughs> right, Dad? I yeah, mean, he I mean, saw this coming for quite some time, and uh, none of it surprises me. The, the, the president has an almost absolute adherence to getting rid of anybody that disagrees with him. Um, he, I don't know what theory of management he wasn't paying attention to at the Wharton School of Business, but every uh, theory of management I'm aware of suggests that the leaders of organizations are benefited by having diverse points of view offered to them and having people uh, be able actually to present opposing points of view. After all, it is the predicate of a free and open society in a democratic republic. Well, well, most importantly, I'm not even talking about, I don't even, I think that gives it too much credit to some degree to say it's a difference of opinion. There's a fact. I mean, Krebs was giving us the facts and the facts were that this was a secure election, period. And Donald Trump didn't want to hear that. So I, I worry sometimes that we get into a situation where we pretend there are, you know, dissenters or do, that there was facts and truth here and an effort to create crimes and then try and find evidence to back them up by President Trump. Right. I mean, yes, your point, your point's very well taken, Dan. Um, and look, I'm looking through the names because you said, what school did he go to? And I was looking at the various names of his books, The Art of the Comeback, Surviving at the Top. I think Think Big. I think that's where the, uh, the strategy comes from. Um, so, you know, that's, again, uh, not surprising. We're talking to Congressman Denny Heck, Democrat from, from Washington State, um, member of the House Intelligence Committee. Our phone lines are already jammed. Um, Congressman, can you stay and take a few calls? Sure. Okay, great. Let's go to a Joe in North Carolina. Joe, how you doing? What do you got? Glad you're there, Congressman. I have one comment to make about the backbone of our democracy with regard to the civil service being separate from the politicization that has occurred, particularly the IG and how critically important they are, as well as whistleblower protection. And yep. I don't know if it's possible in this upcoming conference congress to strengthen that and reinforce it but i see that as an absolute needed needed um that's a good point that's a good point joe thank you for making congressman heck i've talked a lot about inspectors general and my concern about the way that president trump has dismantled the various inspectors general of these entities because in particular some of them were investigating his own inner circle is there anything Congress can do to defend them from influence in that way? Yes, if we had a receptive or willing Senate, which we obviously haven't had thus far. There's some impulse for protection of whistleblowers uh, in the Senate. I suspect it's going to go way up now that there is a Democrat about to occupy the White House. And that's fine because it's a step forward and a reform that is needed. Look, uh, I believe civil service reform was originally enacted in this country Civil service was originally enacted in this country under Chester Arthur way back in the latter part of the 19th century. And it has served our country well to insulate the professionals within the the federal government from the kinds of political comings and goings of those who may seek to abuse their uh, office, such as we've been treated to over the last several years. Joe, thanks for the call. Let's go to Colorado and Maxine. Hey, Maxine, how you doing? What do you got? 
Hi, Dan. How are you? You know, Good, I thanks. called up right after the election and said to you that I thought that Trump on his way out was going to burn down everything he could. He was going to fire everybody he could just out of spite and whatever else to do it. And I think you kind of pushed back and said, oh, you don't really think that's going to happen. Well, wait, 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 wait. I don't remember exactly what I said, but my guess is what I said is let's not presume he's going to do that. Uh, I don't, I don't, just knowing myself, right? Knowing that the way I think and the way I try and portray myself, I like to right. base things on facts and evidence. And my guess is I said, right. without any evidence that he's going to do that, let's not presume <laughs> he's going to do the worst case scenario. But yes, if that is what you said, and yep. it, is cle- it is clear that is what he is doing. And it is, you know, incredibly troubling. And look, I wish... And, you know, Congressman Heck, let me ask you this. Are your Republican colleagues, and put aside the Jim Jordans of the world for a minute, I mean, are, are the majority of Republicans in the House concerned about what the president has been doing? Well, they're certainly not saying it publicly if they are, and they're privately holding their cards fairly close to their vest. What are they doing? They're increasing the number of the members of their caucus who actually subscribe to QAnon. That gives you a bit of a sense of the direction uh, of the caucus. And I have yet to hear Minority Leader McCarthy in any way, shape or form on on any occasion at any time express dissent with any action or utterance by President Trump. Thanks for the call, Uh, Maxine. Let's go to Mike in New York. Hey, Mike, how you doing? What's going on? Hey, good. Hi, Dan. Hey, just wanted to say, Congressman. You've done a great service to our country. I've seen you a lot, and I've seen you do a lot of speaking. You're a solid guy, and your family must be really proud of you. You've done a great service to our country. Thank you. Thank you. Dan, I had a question. Wow. <laughs> can I, can I no, express my gratitude? Uh, please, please, Congressman. Before Mike makes his uh, question, I, I want to express my gratitude. Uh, I, I have very few days left in the United States House of Representatives. I've served here for eight years, but I chose not to run for re-election. And uh, I cannot exaggerate to you, A, what a privilege it's been, or B, how truly deeply it touches my heart to receive comments like Mike's. That's very kind of you, sir. Thank you. Um, and Mike, before you, ask, before you ask your question, Congressman, why did you decide not to run for re-election? Oh, this place is busted <laughs> uh, in, in a very real sense. Besides which, it's it's time for me to go home. Uh, the truth of the matter is, well, Dan, I'm a newlywed. My wife stays back in Olympia, Washington. Yes, we've only been married 44 years. And uh, <laughs> I am tired of living on a different coast from her. Uh, but I, it wasn't my intention at the time I announced my retirement, uh, which I did, by the way, in early last December. And no small part of it was uh, just, frankly, the toll that had been taken on my soul of being a member of the Intelligence Committee and sitting through the Russian investigation, the Ukraine investigation and scandal, and impeachment inquiry. It just took its toll on my soul, having that ringside seat. So I went home, not knowing what I would do, but as it turns out, shocking the world was our one-term incumbent lieutenant governor who announced at the age of 38 or 39, he's going to go be a Jesuit priest. And as a consequence, I announced my campaign for lieutenant governor, And lo and behold, the voters of the state have given me that privilege. So I'm not exiting the public service stage altogether. I'll have an opportunity to serve the people of my state. I'm turning in a 2,321-mile one-way commute for a 2.3-mile 
one-way commute as I live in the hmm. state's capital. But again, I digress. My thanks for your kind comments. No, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting trade, right? Um, United States Congress for lieutenant uh, lieutenant governor. It's two two very uh, different kinds of of jobs. Uh, I would think that you'd have more individual authority and autonomy as a lieutenant governor than you would as a as a member of the House. But well, there's only one, and there are 435 members of the House. But yep. my, all my political all my political and policy DNA is state based. I served many terms in our state house. I was the majority leader. I was chief of staff to a very successful governor uh, back in the 90s. Uh, and I'm the co-founder and first longtime CEO of our state's version of CEO, where I also mm-hmm. had a ringside seat. So my political and policy DNA is state oriented. I'm in that regard, I'm really going home to more than just my wife. Yeah, well, um, and let me ask you, for your, your seat, uh, was it a Democrat or Republican who, uh, who won it? It was a Democrat. In fact, we have a top two primary, sometimes referred to as the jungle primary. And in the general election, it was Democrat on Democrat, both very fine people. But the person who won, Congresswoman-elect Marilyn Strickland, is the former mayor of Tacoma. And get this, Dan, the first African-American from the Pacific Northwest in our in our uh, country's entire history. She's uh, half African-American, half Korean-American. And she's going to be a terrific member of Congress. Interesting. All right, so I, the, the goal here was not to uh, do a bio on Congressman Heck, as, as interesting as it is, uh, it, it, but it's, it is really interesting. So, so I, I, we, I want to try and come back to the topic of the firing of, um, of Krebs and some of the, the legal efforts. Mike, you had a part two to your question. Yeah, it was about Krebs, the firing of Krebs. I mean... I mean, maybe the congressman will know better than you do, but I'm more concerned now with, with that firing that our adversaries now can really take advantage of us in certain ways that the guy holding this position won't even know is happening. Who's minding the store? Who's well, that's, watching us now? But I think, I think look, this, this was my initial set of questions to Congressman Heck, right, which is, you know, there is definitely this is definitely not a good thing, right? It's definitely a bad development, but it's not, you know, it's not dire. Uh, meaning, in my view, I mean, we still have a professional who is running the entity, and all of these civil servants who work for him, who are also focusing on this very important, you know, and critical issue of cybersecurity in this country. And again, here's where I wish, and I'm going to say this to, to the, 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 all the Trump supporters who listen to the show, I wish those of you who would, would be outraged, I wish you wouldn't just say, it's his, it's, you know, he's allowed to do it. That's not the question. The question is, should he do it? Are you pleased that he did it? Are you pleased that he fired this leader in the Department of Homeland Security because he simply was stating the fact that this election was secure? Is that really what you want? Um, anyway, but, but, but uh, Congressman Heck, do you want to answer uh, Mike's second question? So, uh, Dan, as we discussed earlier, there's, there's a partial reason to be concerned here. They have elevated somebody from within that bureaucracy to be its leader now. Uh, but on the other side of it, not is there only the exposure of a less than smooth handoff, not only is there the exposure of the new leader isn't as current as Chris was on his way out the door, but also remember that election security isn't the only responsibility here. Also, they're responsible for utility infrastructure and water 
uh, utility infrastructure and the like. And the fact of the matter is that we know on a daily basis, there isn't the potential for cyber warfare uh, occurring in the world. It's actually underway. Our adversaries attempt to penetrate our uh, uh, IT systems, not on a daily basis, not on an hourly basis, not even on a minute basis, but every second of every day, they're attempting to get in, plant malware or disrupt yep. us. And as a consequence, what Chris did there is important, not just with respect to elections, but with respect to a whole range of risks that America has. This has been the Dan Abrams Law and Crime Podcast with SiriusXM Radio.